Well, hey there, everyone. We're continuing our series entitled Restoring Rhythms. We've been spending the last few weeks talking about how to restore some of the rhythms that have been disrupted over this last year. Uh, And of course, we're talking about healthy rhythms because I think we all recognize we can get into unhealthy rhythms in our lives and, and have rhythms that really detract from our relationships with each other uh, and distract us from our relationship with the Lord. And so we we don't want to just have rhythms. We want to restore healthy rhythms in our lives. And the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about restoring relational rhythms. We've talked about our connection with the Lord, spending time with the Lord, spiritual disciplines, our need for rest and Sabbath and being refreshed in the presence of the Lord. But now we're talking about what does it mean to restore relational rhythms, especially as uh, some of the restrictions are starting to lift and we're starting to to find ourselves in a place where we're re-engaging maybe with people a little bit more. Last week I talked about how it's not just that we reconnect with people, but it's how we reconnect with people and our posture, the posture of our hearts, that we would walk in a position of grace, that we would prefer each other and and really uh, just look out for the interests of those around us, not just for our own interests. Well, today uh, I want to talk about uh, a little bit more, this need for connection that we have. And we we really have, we're wired with a need for personal connection with each other. In fact, it's part of our, our mission here at Thrive Church is uh, our mission statements is that we we would know God and that we would know each other as well. That that, that knowing part of the really the first step of our relationship with the Lord involves us connecting with him I've talked about being invited into that dance, that that God dances, that the Trinity dances, and he invites us into that dance. But then we would also connect uh, with each other, that there would be a relational connection that we would have with each other. And we're designed with that in mind, that it's part of God's design for our lives, that we were wired to be in relationship, relationship with God and in relationship with each other. The crazy thing is, is that we can so often miss the people that are right in front of us, that we can miss the people that God has placed in our lives, the people in our own home, the people in our own family, the the people in our neighborhood, the people that live really in proximity to where we are. We can miss some of those people right out of the gate. And so we, we have to slow down and we have to be aware of those people. We have to have rhythms that allow us to connect with the people that are closest to us. In fact, in your home over the last year, you've probably been together a lot, especially as, as lockdowns happened and we, we were not allowed really to, we're not supposed to go out and can, you know, be in the community. And, and I know for those first few months last year, uh, we were just home a lot. Uh, for many of you, your kids are still at home and are being educated from home via Zoom or your homeschooling. And uh, for many of you, you're still working from home. And so you're in the same space a lot. But you've probably discovered this. Just because you're in the same space, you're occupying the same home, doesn't mean that there's necessarily a lot of connection taking place. And I think that could be just some of the irony of this, is that we can physically occupy the same space and still fail to really connect with each other. And I believe God's heart for us uh, is that we would we would turn our attention to and really focus on some of those relationships uh, that are closest to us. In fact, 
I believe it can be one of the redeeming aspects of this season that we're in. One of the ways that God would redeem this, this time is for us to really invest in those relationships. I know in our home, as our kids are a little bit older and really getting ready to, to move out of the house and, and, and start their, their own lives uh, separate from, from my wife and myself, one of the blessings of this year is that we've had this focused time with our kids before they launch out in, into this next season. And, and we've been so thankful for this. We need to establish a rhythm of connection within our homes, within our households, if you're married, even within your marriage, that you would establish and re, re, really restore a rhythm of intentional connection. Now, maybe for some of you, you've not missed a beat and it's just, and it's, you, you've really made the most of this season. And, and if that's you, so excited for you, so glad for that. And maybe for you, maybe for some of you, you're going, oh yeah, if I had to stop and really think about it or recognize that there's been some missed opportunities. And the great news is it's not too late. It's not too late that we can really reclaim some of those rhythms in our homes. See, the, the goal here is not just, just proximity, that we don't want to just live in proximity to each other. We really want to have an intimacy. We want to press into those relationships that God has established, that God has given us those people in our lives that are closest. And again, that might be your family. It might be you and your spouse or you and your kids, uh, but it might be a circle of people that are even a little bit extended from that, whatever that would look like, whatever those closest relationships would look like for you. That's, those are the relationships that I want to speak to today. I think we would all agree that closeness and intimacy and connection take work. A relationship doesn't just happen automatically. There is a level of investment that has to really be put in. There's a level of work that needs to be invested to, to really build healthy, strong, intimate relationships. And a big part of that is learning how to be fully present with the people in our lives. To, to remove the distractions, to remove the things that, that would cause us to, to just be in our own little world. I think one of the easiest things to identify in, in this time that we live in is, uh, is our electronic devices. That it's so easy to be in a space together, physically together, but we're all in our own worlds as our, fa our faces may be buried in our devices. And, and I'm right there with you. It's, it's so tempting to just spend hours, really hours, sucked into a screen to, to just be viewing the things that are, 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 are popping up on our, our, our social media timelines or in the news or watching a TV show or playing a game. And, and to miss the people that God has put in front of us. We have to do the work of removing distractions so that we can be fully present with the people in our lives, to learn how to be incarnational, to listen incarnationally, to be just with those in the same, not just, again, not just in the same space, but to truly be with people, to be aware of who they are, to be aware of their emotions, to be aware of their responses, to, to realize maybe they're not doing as well as I thought they were doing. To be able to listen and ask questions and respond to each other, to really uh, give place to have compassion and exercise compassion in each other's lives. And how about this one? How about just to, to have fun, 
to laugh together, to, to play games, to, to, to just enjoy each other's presence. This year has been a heavy year. It's been a heavy year emotionally. It's been a taxing year. Uh, our, in the midst of the disruption, that we recognize that there's a, an emotional toll and a mental toll and a spiritual toll that, that has taken place. And one of the greatest places of refreshing that we can experience is in those relationships that God has surrounded us with. I think one of the things that we have to know is this. We can't assume that everyone is okay, that everyone around us is just doing okay. We need to ask. We really need to sit down and ask. Ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask your friends, how are you doing? And then listen, learning to really listen. I want to take a look at Jesus' example of what this looked like in his ministry and, and in his life, not just in his ministry. I think it's so easy for us to think about Jesus just as a minister, that he, he did this ministry work, that Jesus was a son, that Jesus was a brother, Jesus was a friend, uh, and he spent a lot of time with people. In fact, uh, one of the easiest and best places for us to connect is the same place that Jesus connected with people, and that's around the table. And so what I'd like to do for the rest of our time together is really focus on this idea of being at the table together. Now hear me, there's a lot of different ways that we can connect with each other, and there's lots of great ideas. You can go out and take a walk. You can do a fun activity, play some, play some games, play a sport, all kinds of things that you can do together uh, as a family, in your household, with, with a friend group. Um, but I want to focus on this one element that, that I believe is lost, not just because of COVID and this year that we've had, but I think it's something that has really been lost in the world that we live in and the culture that we live in. And it's this idea of being at the table, of breaking bread together and, and partaking in a meal and enjoying the fellowship that happens over the table. It's, it's such an important place and an easy place to be fully present with people. And we see that in the life of Jesus, that, that he spent a lot of time at the table with the people that he cared about and the people that he wanted to express his love to and that he showed compassion for. And we recognize this in scripture that the table is an important part of God's kingdom. The table is an important part of God's kingdom. I think sometimes when we think of God's kingdom, we think of even heaven, we think of clouds, we think of, you know, of course, the, the, golden, the golden streets and the pearly gates. But when Jesus talked about his kingdom, he used this picture of the table. And in fact, in the Old Testament, there's references to the table, to this table, this banqueting table at which we would sit down, be invited to and sit down with, with God and enjoy a meal with him and with each other. Jesus talked about this heavenly gathering place. In Luke 13, verses 29 and 30, he says this, People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Jesus painting this incredible picture of this banquet table. And I love that he says that, that people will come from every part of the world, from every corner of this world and will be welcomed at this table in the kingdom of God. And there will be a feast that we will get to sit down at the table 
and enjoy each other's presence. I, I'm so encouraged by that. I'm so excited, not just because I enjoy food, but because I know that, that the relationship that happens around the table is so important to the heart of God. And what this really speaks to is God's heart for relationship. It's not that in heaven that we, we need to have food. The real picture here is that in heaven, in God's kingdom, there's, there's a priority placed on relationship. It's around the table that this incredible connection takes place. And we will get to do that for eternity with each other. We get to be in each other's presence and as we're in the presence of the Lord. People from every part of earth, all of those who've put their faith in Jesus Christ, invited to this banqueting table. And, and Jesus says that, that, that those who are first, uh, those who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. What he's saying is this, is that no one person will be above the other. That there's going to be no jockeying for position. There's going to be no one who's, who's elevated above, that everyone will be at this table together, united as one. The table in the Jewish tradition and during the time that Jesus was alive and ministered was a huge part of that culture, part of that tradition and continues to be. If you, if you travel to Israel today or if you're a part of a, a Jewish community, even here in the U.S., you would recognize that, that eating, that being at the table is a big part of that faith tradition. And this was especially true on the Sabbath, that a big part of the Sabbath was given to being at the table, to being around the table together, uh, a, a place where all distractions, all work ceased, all distractions were turned off, and there was this this awareness of each other, this this being present with each other, and and you know we've talked about the Sabbath before. A few weeks ago, we we covered some scripture and talked about the subject of the Sabbath and. Uh, even encouraged you to establish a Sabbath rhythm in your life. But you remember God spoke about the Sabbath and he said, set aside this day, this day with no work would happen. And he said that the Sabbath would be holy, that the Sabbath would be holy, that, that the six days of work were important, but it's the Sabbath day that was holy. And I believe a, a, a big part of that is, is that focus on relationship that there is something holy, there's something blessed about people coming together, a picture of the future, a picture of this banqueting table in heaven, that God considers this to be something that is holy, something that is set apart, something that is, is so precious to him, is the relationship we would have with him and with each other. See, Jesus focused on the table. He focused on sharing a meal with people. It was a big, over and over in scripture, we see this repeated. It was a big part of his ministry and a part of his experience with people and part of his life. See, he invited people to the table. You remember the story of Zacchaeus being up in the tree and, and just wants to get that glimpse of Jesus. I just want to see him as he goes by. And Jesus stops and sees him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to come to your house and I want to share a meal with you in your home. I can't tell you what a big deal that would have been for Zacchaeus and for all of those that were listening. See, because a meal wasn't something that was done quickly and on the fly. There would have been uh, preparation. And so Jesus would, by inviting himself to Zacchaeus's house, would have been there for quite some time. He would have spent some time 
in Zacchaeus's home. It was around the table that Jesus listened to people, that he engaged with them, that he taught them, he encouraged them. It was around the table that Jesus would even have compassion. I think one of the greatest examples, well, not specifically around a single table, but focused around the subject of food, was Jesus looking at the crowds and having compassion because they were hungry. They just physically had a need. And so he invites the disciples, they bring the loaves and the bread, I mean the loaves and the fish, and and there's a miracle that happens and Jesus invites them to sit down and, and the people are fed in this way. He had compassion on people and so often that's evidenced at the table. And one of the things that Jesus also did at the table is he challenged the norms of the day. He challenged the culture. It says that he ate with tax collectors. He ate with, with sinners. He ate with people that, that the, the religious community of the day condemned him for. It said, why is it that you eat with these people? See, because when you sit down and you eat, eat with someone, you ascribe value to them. You, you speak value, you, you, you communicate that you value them, that you want to take that time. And I don't believe that's changed from the time of Jesus to now. Uh, when, you, when, when a young couple uh, are starting to, to date and, and, you know, they're falling in love, one of the things you do is you, you, you go out to a nice meal. You sit down across the table from each other, and right? It's not just, hey, let's just run down to McDonald's and, and grab, <laughs> grab a quick bite, but as the relationship grows deeper, you go, oh, yeah, we want to go find a place to, to sit, and you know, candlelit, and we want to have a nice meal and look across the table at each other. Why? It ascribes value. It speaks to the value you put in that relationship. Jesus valued the people that he spent time at the table with, whether that was the disciples, which you know, Scripture, we have this condensed timeline of Jesus' life in the Gospels. But if we think about it, you know, th- three years of ministry, so 365 days in each one of those years, over a thousand days where Jesus was with his disciples uh, and, and sharing a meal, walking with them and talking with them. That's a lot of bread to be broken, a lot of time that they spent with each other. Jesus ascribed value to people as he sat and ate with them. One of my favorite accounts of this takes place in John 21. John 21 verses 9 through 14. And I want to, I'll read these verses for you in a second. Let me set up what's, what's happening a little bit here. So this is the last chapter of the book of John, the gospel of John. And, and this is after Jesus has been crucified and he has risen from, from the, the grave. At this point, leading up to this point, he's He's revealed himself. He's shown himself uh, to the disciples on two other occasions. Um, But we've got to remember that the disciples have just come through an extremely traumatic period. They've watched their their teacher, their Lord, uh, their friend die a painful death on a cross. And and though he has now risen as he said he would, and he's shown himself to them a couple of times, uh, the pain that they experienced and the suffering that they experienced is still lingering with them. And there's a lot of questions that are going on. And so one of the things that they do in the midst of this, this tumultuous time is they go back to something that's familiar and they go back to the Sea of Galilee where most of them are from and they go back to fishing. They go hop on a boat uh, led by Simon, Simon Peter who was a fisherman by trade and they go spend some time in the water and they're, they're fishing um, 
And it's in this place that Jesus comes uh, to them on the seashore and he calls out to them. And uh, and reminiscent of a previous story, he calls out and says, friends, haven't you caught any fish? And they said, no, we've not caught anything. And he tells them to cast their nets on the other side. And and they, in that moment, recognize that it's Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat and he starts swimming to the shore to try and try and get to Jesus. But I want to pick up the story in, in, cha- uh, in verse 9 of chapter 21, and this is what it, it says. When they landed, they saw a fire of, coal, of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of your, the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Peter jumps out of the boat swims to shore. He wants to be the first to see Jesus. He wants to be the first to, to, to be where Jesus is. And, and in this moment, they show up on the seashore, believed to be on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And when they get there, when they get to the shore, Jesus already has a fire going. And it says that there was already fish, that Jesus miraculously somehow, we, we, we don't know, maybe he, he bought the fish in town or maybe he, uh, he, you know, he caused the fish to jump right out of the water. Either way, he already has some food ready for them. The fish and the bread is there. It's been cooking. It's been warmed up. And he invites them and he says, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And, and so Peter goes back to the boat. Of course, it's Peter. And he's just... He's just unsettled, and you can just see this this edginess to him. And he goes back to the boat, and he brings this this net, drags it up on the shore. And John tells us that there were 153 fish uh, in in this net, and there's and the net was was not torn. And there's significance to that, uh, but we we want to discuss that uh, in depth today. But I love this. Jesus says to them at this point, he goes, "Come and have breakfast." Come and have breakfast. Come sit down at the table. Now, they're sitting around a fire, so no no actual table. But the idea is this. We're going to share a meal together. We're going to break bread together. And so Jesus takes bread and he gives it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Really, looking back to the night when they were in the upper room, which we talked about last week, where Jesus shared that meal with them. Another great example of a time where Jesus broke bread with the disciples, this intimate moment. You know, here's, here's what's so significant about this, this moment on the seashore, is that Jesus, again, is on mission. He's come now, and he's fulfilled the work that he was called to do. He, he was crucified. He rose again. He has conquered sin and death and the grave. And rather than just going straight to work, He's not in a hurry. Rather than just getting down to business, he stops and he says, let's have a meal. And the question is why? Why did Jesus do this this way? 
Well, the answer is this. This is what I believe. This is what I think scripture tells us. And, and scholars would agree with this as well. Is that Jesus was aware of where they were at. It wasn't just about Jesus' mission and getting things done. He was aware of how they were doing. He was aware of their emotions. He was aware uh, that they were just frazzled. They were worn out. They were tired. Uh, their rhythms had been severely disrupted. And they just didn't know what, what, what was next. They were wondering about what the future would hold. And, and which is why they go back to doing something that was familiar. Even, even if it wasn't the thing that God had called them to do, they just thought, you know, fishing, it's, it's something for, that's familiar. Again, they were in shock. They, they'd seen Jesus die. And here's Peter especially struggling because he was the one who had denied Jesus. So they're a mess. Let's just say they were a mess. Internally, they were, they were just torn up. And so Jesus takes time to sit with them and he feeds them. He gives them bread. He gives them fish. He gives them sustenance. And they enjoy this time together around the fire. Following this, if you continue to read in John 21, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus restoring Peter, where he asks him, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And then he gives them this commission. He says that, that, that he would then go on and have this ministry. And it, it's a turning point for Peter. But I love that Jesus didn't start there. He says, come and have breakfast. He invites them to eat. Church, there is place for us. There needs to be a place for us where we would invite people to the table. We would invite those in our home. If you're, if you're the head of the home, if you're a dad or a mom or a couple, or if you're a single mom or a single dad, or if you're, if you're in, in, in a room, even in, in a household with, with roommates, whatever your situation would be, that someone would take the initiative and say, hey, let's come to the table. Let's come to the table. Let's break bread. And as we break bread together, let's be aware of each other. Let's be aware of, of our struggles. Let's be aware of our emotions. Let's be aware of how we're doing and not just be ships passing in the night. The table is such a gift from God. It's such a gift from God because we, it's a place where we can come. Our guard can be let down, where we can see each other and engage with each other. And, and it is a picture of heaven. Your table, that place in your home, that banquet in your home is a picture of what we will do in heaven when we come together. And so calling each other from the four corners of our homes to say, come, let's break bread. It creates an opportunity for us to be present with each other. And so I want to encourage you as a point of application, make the table a priority in your home. Restore that rhythm. Commit yourselves to restoring the rhythm. Maybe over this past year, uh, because you've been in the same space and maybe even getting on each other's nerves a little bit because you're always in each other's space. Maybe that rhythm of eating together has gone by the wayside. Uh, maybe it's a rhythm that, that perhaps you've never had in your home. And I want to encourage you, if it's not, reclaim that. Make that start a new tradition. See, we are a people on the move. We are people on the move. Even when we're limited, even when our, our, our motion is restricted, we are still a people on the move. We've got things to do. We've got work to get done. There's things that we're thinking about. And as I said earlier, we get distracted. And so what we do is we eat on the go. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But if there's no 
place for us to sit at the table, I believe we're missing out on some of the deepest connection that the Lord would have for us as families, as households, as people. And so we need to make the table a priority. What does that look like? Maybe set one or two nights a week where you say, this, this is a night where we will not just eat together. And I want to give you some real practical pointers. And, and so many moms or dads or people, people will really appreciate this. This isn't about one person doing all of the cooking and presenting a meal and everyone swooping in and then devouring the meal and then just leaving in a few minutes. I want to, I want to, this is a part of the restoring rhythms and reclaiming these rhythms. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. Set a plan, get a plan in place, pick a night uh, and say on this night, we're going to sit at the table, but we're not just going to sit at the table. We're going to prepare. We're going to set the table. Uh, maybe set a, a nice table, get the, the nice dishes out, uh, Cook as a family. Learn to, to make something new. Try a dish that you've, you've ne- we, we have cooked some fun dishes in our house. We watch some YouTube channels where we learn to cook something new. And we'll go out and buy the ingredients and we'll give it a shot. And sometimes it turns out and sometimes it doesn't, but it's okay. We get to experience that together. Cook a meal together. Teach your kids. If your kids are young, give them a job that they can do and invite them into that process and then sit together and take time, take half hour, an hour, hour and a half, and just be at the table. Put all the devices, all of the distractions away, and just commit as a family to say, we're going to set this time aside to be present with each other, to not be distracted. distracted. Don't be in a hurry. Enjoy this time with each other, and then ask each other questions. Talk about what's happening, and even maybe practice this. Uh, again, all suggestions, just things that you could try, but maybe go around the table and one at a time, just how, how are you doing? How are things going? And learn to listen. Teach your kids to listen to each other and watch what God will stir up in your hearts as a compassion rises for one another. You might discover th- some things that, that surprise you. You might discover that maybe some people in your home are not doing as well as you thought they were. You know, as as restrictions lift, as people get vaccinated, as things kind of start returning to, returning to normal, I think one of the concerns would be this, is that we miss this opportunity, that we just are such in a hurry to get back to the lives we had before, that we could miss the opportunity to be present with each other. So cook together, eat together, and then clean up together clean up together, invite everyone into the process and say, hey, we're going to do this whole thing together. We're going to cook, eat, and clean up together so that not one person is stuck in the kitchen doing that chore either, but make it a full family activity. And I, I guarantee you, as you do, you will be blessed, that there will be a joy, there will be laughter that would, would, would fill your home. Maybe, maybe it'll take some time. It's a muscle you've got to develop. Like I said at the beginning, relationship takes investment, and this is one of the ways that you can invest in that. But church, the table is important to the kingdom of God. The table was mini- important in the ministry of Jesus, and we see the clear picture of the table in the kingdom of heaven that one day we will gather at that table in God's presence. What a great opportunity for us in a simple way in this season, in the midst of the culture that we're in, that is so on the go, 
to slow down and say, we're going to make the table a priority. We're going to teach our kids. We're going to talk to our family. We're going to invite friends to sit around the table and talk about the things of the Lord, to be present with each other, to have compassion, to minister. Watch what God does. I want to encourage you, if, if you sit down at the table, maybe today or this week, and you share a meal, would you take a picture and would you post it to social media? And you can just use that tag, Thrive Glendora. We'd love to see the picture of you guys at your table sharing a meal together. And let's set an example, not just in our church, but really for the world, what it means to connect with each other. Talk about the things of the Lord. Set the, reclaim the simple rhythm of being together at the table. One simple way, like I mentioned, there's other things you could do, but I really want to encourage you. I think this is something that is near and dear to the the Lord's heart, and it's something that we can reclaim in our hearts, in our lives, and in our homes. So I want to pray for you as we close today. So Jesus, we thank you for the example of the table and the importance of the table, the rhythm of being at the table, Not, not just because we need physical food for sustenance, Lord, but it's a reminder that we need relational connection to survive as well, that we need to be connected to you and that we need that intimate connection with each other, that even as our bodies would be fed, that our souls would be fed as well as we sit at the table, Lord God. So I pray that you give a clear plan and strategy, Lord, to to reclaim this in every home, Lord, as as things open back up, as we have opportunities to reconnect with a larger community and friends, Lord, that we would listen, that we would be a people who model the example of Jesus, that we would have compassion and be present with people and listen to what's happening. And Lord, that our words would bring life and encouragement in that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, blessings on you. Pray you have a great week. Have fun at the table. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.